Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit dogwood.church. Join us now as Pastor Keith shares today's message. Good morning, everybody. Glad you're here on this beautiful Palm Sunday. I want to read to you uh, the story of what uh, is traditionally called the triumphal entry of Christ from where we uh, get our Palm Sunday uh, celebration. This was a, um, uh, such an important event in the life of Jesus and in the establishment of the kingdom of God and evidently so important to you and me that God inspired all four of the gospel writers, in each one in their individual accounts of the, of the person and the work of Jesus, uh, they all included uh, this incident, uh, this, uh, this account of the Lord Jesus entering the, the city of Jerusalem on the Sunday uh, at the beginning of the uh, Feast of the Passover celebration, when when thousands of, uh, of pilgrims, Jewish pilgrims, had come uh, to celebrate Passover in Jerusalem. Uh, they wanted to be right there. And so we, I'm going to read to you from uh, a harmony of the Gospels. There, there are several really good ones written. This one's called uh, The Life of Christ in Stereo, which takes all four accounts and combines them. And so let me read this to you. This is God's Word. And it came to pass the next day when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the mountain called Olivet. Then Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go into the village that is opposite you, and immediately on entering it you will find a donkey tied and a colt tied with her on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone asks anything to you, if anyone says anything to you or asks you, why are you doing this? You shall say to him, because the Lord has need of them. He will send them here at once. So, those who were sent on their way did as Jesus commanded them and found a young colt just as he had told them, tied outside the door in the street, and they untied it. And the owners of it, who were standing there, said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had commanded. The Lord has need of it, and they let them go. So they brought the donkey and the colt to Jesus. Throwing their garments on them, they set Jesus upon the colt. Now, as he proceeded, they began to spread their garments on the road as he was already drawing near at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples. You see, there were more followers of Jesus at this point than just the 12 main disciples. So all of this larger throng, multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works which they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who is coming in the name of the Lord, and peace in heaven and glory in the highest. In a great throng who had come to the feast, again, the, these were the Jewish pilgrims who had come to the feast of the Passover uh, in Jerusalem, a great throng when they heard that Jesus was coming into Jerusalem, for Jesus was quite 
the public figure by this time. He was well known. When they heard Jesus himself was coming into Jerusalem, they cut branches from the palm trees and went out to meet him and strewed them across the road. And the crowds who went before him and those who followed kept crying out, Hosanna! Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who is coming in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel! Blessed is the kingdom of our father David! Hosanna in the highest! Now all this was done that there might be fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Fear not, behold, your king is coming to you, meek and mounted upon a donkey, even a colt, the foal of a donkey. These things his disciples understood, not at first, but when Jesus was glorified, that means after the death, burial, resurrection, and then ascension of Jesus into heaven, when Jesus was glorified, they remembered that these things were written of Him and that they had done these things to Him. Therefore, the people who were with Him when He called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead bore witness. For this reason also, the people went and met Him because of hearing what had been He had wrought Uh, that he had wrought this miraculous sign. And some of the Pharisees, now these were the, uh, in first century Judaism, these were a subset of, uh, of the Jews, of the Jewish faith, and they were very conservative in their, uh, in their uh, faith. Some of the Pharisees from the multitude in that crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you, if these should be silent, the stones will cry out. And when he drew near and beheld the city, he wept over it, saying, If only you, yes you, had known at least in this day, your day, the things that would bring you peace. But now they are hidden, they are hid from your eyes, for Days shall come upon you when your enemies will cast up a rampart about you and encircle you and hem you in on every side and will level you to the ground with your children within you, leaving you not one stone upon another because you knew not the time of your visitation. He was prophesying what would happen when the Romans would come a few decades later and level the city. And upon entering Jerusalem, the entire city was aroused, saying, here's the question, who is this? There's our question for the day. Who is this? Who is Jesus, really? Who is this? And the crowd said, this is Jesus the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. The Pharisees and therefore, the, the Pharisees therefore said to one another, oh, you see that you're gaining nothing. Well, the whole world has gone after him. They were a little bit frustrated at that point. They didn't believe in Jesus and They didn't want all the rest of this crowd uh, believing in him, but it looked like they were. And Jesus entered into the temple, and when he'd looked around on everything, as the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This is God's word. Palm Sunday, when we join all of our brothers and sisters in Christ around the globe of remembering Uh, what we know as the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem that began the last week of His life prior to His arrest, trial, 
crucifixion that last week, I mean, we're down to the last few days here, the last seven days, um, all of these people were present. The 12 disciples closest to him, the greater multitude of, of his disciples uh, on the Mount of Olives that day, the great crowd, the great throng, thousands who were arriving at Jerusalem for the Passover, uh, uh, the people who had also been with him when he had performed that remarkable miracle. All of them were remarkable, but the raising of Lazarus, his friend from the dead. The Pharisees were there, the uh, religious, the Jewish religious conservatives who uh, were in opposition to Jesus at, the, at that time. Uh, finally, the population of the entire city. Uh, so who is this? And that's a, it's thousands upon thousands of people were aware that Jesus was entering the city and wanted to know who he was and why this was a, was a big deal. Uh, some were looking to Jesus. Some were believing in Jesus. Someone were, were, some were celebrating Jesus, uh, asking about Jesus. Most of them got it wrong that day. Most of them misunderstood who Jesus was and what he was about and why this was important. Uh, that question that the entire city asked, who is this? Most of them gave the wrong answer. Evidently, they did not understand his identity. They, they believed the wrong things about Jesus. Apparently, it was easy to get it wrong. Must still be easy to get it wrong about Jesus. Even today, after over 2,000 years of uh, remembering and thinking and teaching and the gospel spreading, uh, on this Palm Sunday, beginning this Holy Week, as we move toward Easter weekend, Resurrection uh, Sunday uh, weekend, it's easy to get it wrong about Jesus. It's important to get it right about Jesus. And here's one of the ways you can tell if you've gotten it wrong about if you have misunderstood who Jesus really is and what He's really like. You are somewhere on the continuum of either being a little disappointed in Jesus all the way to being mad at God. We believe, you know, we're just saying, we believe our God is Jesus. Who is Jesus? We believe He's God come in the flesh. You're either a little disappointed in God or you're all the way to being angry at God. And I think our story today tells us that uh, if you're mad at God, it's because you have, you have misplaced anger. Because you misunderstand who He is and what He's like. These people are the very same. Well, these people didn't sound like they were mad at God. They were one week later. These very same people were shouting, Crucify Him! Kill Him! Shouting for His death. Why? Because He didn't do what they wanted Him to do. He would not be what He wanted them to be. They misunderstood God. They misunderstood God. It's important that you get it right because if you get it wrong, you're going to miss out on the blessing of God. If you get it right, you're going to not be mad at Him. You're going to love Him because He's the, and trust Him because He is the most trustworthy being in existence and He is the most lovable being in existence. So I'm praying, God help us, help us. It's easy to get it wrong. It's easy to get it wrong about Jesus. God help us to get it right about Him uh, today. So let me talk to you first of all about who Jesus and what Jesus is not. How's that? Let's start from the negative. We find it in our story today. 
And first of all, let me just say that Jesus is not a punishing dictator out to make you pay or out to make someone else pay that you want to pay. He's not, he is not that. Now, the, prophet, the, the, the Jewish prophet Zechariah, hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus, prophesied this very account, his triumphal entry in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, and it says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having a salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, the people of Jerusalem, all of the people of Jerusalem of that day, rightly understood the implications of Jesus riding into the city of Jerusalem on the Sunday before the Passover feast, as a declaration that he was the Messiah. They understood that, uh, uh, that what he was doing. They understood this prophecy. When I was a kid growing up, and said, we had this really big deal about Palm Sunday. Jesus got on a donkey and rode into Jerusalem. Didn't everybody do that? You know, I'm thinking a kid, what's the, now what's the big significance there? Well, the significance was the prophecy. They understood that the, one of the ways we're going to tell is that on, a, on, that, on that day, there's going to be a day when the, the Messiah is going to come, and we're going to know him, one of the ways we're going to know him is he's going to declare himself publicly to come, and he's about to do what he's going to do, and we really want him to do it, and he's going to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. They rightly understood that Jesus was claiming to be the Messiah on that day, the one who would uh, usher in uh, the kingdom of God. But they misunderstood, they missed the point of him riding in on a donkey. He did not ride in on a war horse. As I am the king of Israel, I am the conquering king, they, they, uh, they did not get that because some in the crowd thought that the Messiah, wrongly thought that the Messiah was going to be a political military ruler. Would he be spiritual? Would he be sent from God? Yes, yes. But he would primarily be take the throne of Israel, defeat all of Israel's enemies, who the primary enemy that day was the occupying forces of the Roman Empire, and they, they were, he, was not, he was going to not only set them free and reestablish Israel to its prominence as a nation, you know, make, they, there were banners all over the yards, make Israel great again. You know, they're not a, just saying. And so uh, they, they were everywhere. And, they, and the Messiah was the one who was going to do that. He's, but he's not only just going to set them free from Rome, he was going to make them pay for all the atrocities they had committed against the Israelites. And they should have paid. They should have paid. They thought Jesus was going to be that kind of Messiah. He didn't enter on a war horse, though. He entered on a donkey, which was a symbol of peace and humility uh, and, uh, and gentleness. Because he had already declared all of his public ministry, my kingdom will not be a political kingdom. My kingdom will not be a military kingdom. My kingdom is in the hearts and lives of men and women and boys and girls as they submit themselves to me as God and Savior. His is a spiritual kingdom in the hearts and lives. He rules over human beings from our hearts. I'll not, I'll not be king of a nation. I'll be king in the hearts of people. He came not to set up a new kingdom of Israel. He came to redeem. He came to rescue. He came to renovate the hearts 
of every person in the human race and, and turn us into the fullness of human beings in Christ. Restore us to what He intended us to be um, uh, already. And He gave His very life. He wouldn't be the king that would conquer. He'd be the suffering servant that would lay down His life and pay the price for people just like you and me to be uh, redeemed. Well, Pastor, I, I always thought that, that God was kind of angry and wanted to make people pay, including me. Well, it is true that God is completely just. He is a just God. He loves justice. And He will see that justice is served. The Bible is very clear about that. It is clear that He hates sin and it must be punished or He is not a just God. But He decided to take the punishment. He is the God who passes judgment on sin and then steps down from the judge's seat and steps into the electric chair, steps into to get the lethal injection, steps to the gallows, steps up on the cross and dies and pays the penalty for sin, satisfying his very own demands for uh, justice because he couldn't bear the thought of moral and spiritual fallops like you and me having to atone for our own sin. Here's what he thinks about people who choose to reject his offer. Now he's ready to get them, right? Well, no, listen to this. He says in Ezekiel chapter 18, beginning in verse 30, Therefore, O house of Israel, I will judge you, each one according to his ways, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent, turn away from all your offenses, then sin will not be your downfall. Rid yourselves of all the offenses you've committed and get a new heart and a new spirit. Why would you die, O house of Israel? For I, look at this, I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent and live. Repent and live. Jesus is a just God who paid the fine because He loves you and loves me. But we also, we don't get too mad at Him because sometimes we know, well, I might deserve judgment. But we do get mad at Him when we think He won't judge people that think we think are more evil than us. We're kind of like Jonah, the prophet. You know, God told Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. And they say, well, so what? Now, why didn't he want to go to Nineveh? Was it... Well, that's where the Assyrians lived. You know, the Assyrians were not your friendly next-door neighbor types. They were like the great, 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 great times X grandfathers of ISIS, only they were rougher than ISIS. And they were hated because of the atrocities they committed against the, all the peoples that they conquered. And yet God says, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach the gospel uh, to J Jonah, preach the gospel to him." And he said, I ain't going. And I'm going the other, I ain't going. Not, you know, he said, it's, he, it wasn't because it was he afraid. No, he wanted them to burn in hell. I'm not telling them about your forgiveness. He said, I know what you'll do. They'll repent and you'll forgive them. So then after God explained it to him a little bit, he went. You can read the story about that explanation. But he said, oh, never had it explained to me that way before. I'm happy to go. And so he, uh, yeah, he, he, he went and then he preached the gospel to that great city of Nineveh. And they listened and they believed judgment was coming and they repented of their sins. And great revival swept that city and God forgave them. And Jonah got mad at sin. He said, I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. 
See, you're just like I thought you were. You will forgive people that... He said, they, you see, you know, they're like really... They deserved it. I want them to go to hell. They deserve it. They did. He said, but he didn't think he did. Now see, you may be mad at God because there's some people or you're trying to figure out how come people are performing all these atrocities around the world. He said, I want them, mm, I want them to pay. And how come God's not making them pay? And so, but man, we're all sinners. You say, yeah, but I'm not a sinner like them. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. You might not know it yet, but you can keep looking at your heart. It's in you. The capacity is in you. It's in me. That's why we need a Savior. So, sometimes if we get it wrong about Jesus and thinking he's just he's either going to punish me or he's or he I want him he's if he's a real God he'll punish the people I want him to punish when I want him to punish them we might get it wrong Jesus is also not neither is he a uh, a cosmic mechanic to fix all your problems a magical mysterious mechanic that can Make sure you have a problem-free, pain-free life. John's Gospel tells us that on Palm Sunday in uh, chapter 12, the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. They had heard that Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. Some of the eyewitnesses of his miracle were in the crowd in Jerusalem that day. No doubt there were others, and they'd never stopped talking about these miracles. So others had witnessed uh, him uh, heal the blind man, Bartimaeus, and restore his sight. Uh, Possibly the four friends who lowered their crippled friend down through the roof into a crowded home at the feet of Jesus and saw him restore him to health and the ability to stand and walk were in the crowd that day. No doubt uh, there were many there who had been on the hillside that day and seen Jesus take the lunch of a the little the small lunch of a little small boy and multiply the food and feed over five thousand men and women and children on the hillside that day near the Sea of Galilee. They were in the crowd and they'd heard this miracle worker was coming back into Jerusalem and they were just so excited that here he was. Maybe he can help me with my stuff, or maybe they could just say, "Oh boy, let's go see if he does his stuff again." He's a sideshow. He's he's uh, sensational. There's some. Watch out now, Christians. There's something about us that is uh, drawn to the sensational in an unhealthy way, to the point that we would begin to be more concerned with the miracles than we are the miracle maker. Watch it. Be careful. It's in us. It happens all the time. Happens all the time. These thought that he was simply, hey, he's the kind of God, I'm going to follow him, and because if I give my life to him, then he'll fix everything. He will always fix every problem, trial, and difficulty that I am uh, experiencing. Now, sometimes Jesus is powerful, and sometimes he does fix our problems. Sometimes he does deliver us from unpleasant tasks, unpleasant trials, unpleasant tribulations. But many times He has something better for us. Many times He allows them in our lives, regardless of the source of the suffering. Many times He allows them in our lives to bless us, to grow us, to teach us patience and perseverance 
in hope to put us on the fast track to spiritual growth to Christ-likeness. To, to bring us closer to Him so that we know Him better and love Him more and enjoy His company like never before. When we understand that He always has our best interest at heart, we redefine good. Good is defined as anything that draws me closer to Jesus and anything that makes me more like Him. That's what God calls good. And sometimes that's suffering. Sometimes that's suffering. So, but I don't want it to be that way. Well, good... Good luck with that. Join the crowd. Join the crowd. But if you want to get on the fast track to spiritual growth, sign up for suffering. Sign up for suffering. You see, as we say, remember, there is a heaven and this is not it. This is preparation for eternity. And it's not going to be perfect here. He may fix you. He will not always fix your problems. He will sometimes, but He will always fix you. He will always grant grace and the power and presence of His Holy Spirit, not only just to help us survive our problems, but even to thrive in them. Even to thrive in them. Everybody's got them. We prayed for them a few moments ago. In our prayer time, Pastor Jay Vineyard led us to cast our cares upon Him because He cares for us. I had, how many of you had some cares to cast on him? I did. I got some that are keeping me up at night, waking me up in the middle of the night. I got some. You don't know what they are. But you know, you know that, look at that person sitting next to you if you can bear it. You know what? They have them too. They have them too. It's one of the reasons my mentor, Dr. Jimmy Draper, always said to us. Hey, be kind to everybody today because everybody's having a hard time. There's some cares in there. And if, if you misunderstand Jesus that He is to be the cosmic mechanic, that if He's really, a, then He just fixes all that. And I don't, I don't have any cares. I don't have any problems. He said, no, that comes later. That comes later. That's not here. But if you rightly understand Him, you'll know He's the God who comes along and sustains us in the midst of suffering. And you'll trust Him more. You'll trust Him more. He is neither a conquering abusive dictator nor a cosmic mechanic. Neither is He just a good moral teacher. Now the Pharisees believed Him to be that. In Luke 19.39, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. They called Him teacher. In your, in your Bible there, just, just write the word rabbi. They, they were saying rabbi. They thought He was just a, another... Jewish rabbi, even though, and they didn't like the kind of rabbi that he was. The Pharisees did not. But they thought he was a teacher with the limited power of a Jewish rabbi. They did not believe that he was God. They did not believe he was the Messiah. They just believed he was a popular Jewish rabbi. Just a, Some of them might have thought he's a pretty good teacher. You'll say, well, Pastor, I believe that Jesus was a great moral teacher, arguably the greatest teacher of morality and ethics that ever existed. I do not believe that he was God. Well, he was a great teacher, is a great teacher. In fact, uh, most people in the field of ethics believe that Jesus summarized the, pin the, the pinnacle of, 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 of ethical teaching was summarized by no less than Jesus himself in 
Matthew chapter 7, I believe about verse 12, in what we know is the golden rule when he said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. He was a great teacher. He was a great teacher. But periodically, in the mid- Jesus would be giving these great talks, and people would just be listening, and then he would insert sayings like, and by the way, I'm God. Now, no one today would be, would we, in any stre- by any stretch of the imagination, would we declare to be a good teacher if they believed themselves to be God? Would we? No. No. Of course not. Of course not. Jesus gave us three options and three only. He did not leave us the option of saying that he was a good moral teacher. He didn't leave us that option because he was either who he said he was. He claimed to be no less than God who took on human flesh. He was either that or he was one of the most evil human beings to ever walk the earth. He was a liar. And he's deceived millions of people terribly, terribly. Or the third option was he was insane. He was delusional. He just believed himself to be God. But when you look at him, he does not appear to be delusional. He appears to be a fully integrated, healthy uh, human being. But But you can pick one of those. One of those three options, he, he did not leave us the option of saying he was a good moral teacher. No one would be a good moral teacher who claimed themselves, oh, by the way, I'm God too. No, 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 no. He is no less than the Son of God. He is God come in the flesh, co-equal with God the Father, God the Holy Spirit. He offered himself as the perfect sacrifice for our sins, dying on the cross uh, for our sins, because of our sins, in our place, substituting for us uh, and atoning fully for our sins so that if we ask Him to, He will be our substitute. He will be our substitute. So it's important to know Him as all-powerful and, and, and powerful enough to do, do that, not be limited in His power just as a good teacher because when you know he is all, He's altogether good and also altogether powerful, you will depend upon Him, you will trust Him, and you will love Him because He's the most lovable and trustworthy being in existence. Jesus is not an abusive dictator out to make you pay. He is neither, neither is He a cosmic mechanic to always fix all of your problems, nor is He only a great moral teacher. He is the God who cries over people who are far from Him. He is the God who cries over people who are far from Him. Take a look at verses 41 through 44 of that passage. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. He wept over those who were far from Him. He wept. This time for people who... He knew they didn't really understand who he was and what he was like and what he really wanted to do for them and could do for them. They wrongly misunderstood. Do you have the wrong idea of Jesus? Then I would encourage you to adjust it today and imagine what your life could be like if you understood who he was and what he's really like. And here's just a few things we see here. He is a just, he is the just God who is concerned with justice being served, and then, then, then met the demands of justice 
himself by paying the fine. He is a powerful God who can and sometimes does fix our problems we face in our lives, but more often holds out his power and presence and grace to you and me to fix us, to fix our hearts and to empower us not only to survive, but to thrive in life, even in the midst of our difficulties. He is an all-knowing, all-powerful, ever-present Savior who came to die for us, to defeat death, hell, and the grave, to offer you and me forgiveness of our sins, full acceptance by God the Father, power for living in this world, an interactive relationship with Him to live under His care and supervision on a moment-by-moment, day-by-day basis, one to whom we will answer as King of kings and Lord of lords, that He is a God who cries over you and me when it appears that we will choose to reject His forgiveness, His blessing, His life that is truly life that He offers to you and me and instead run over the cliff to destruction and hell. He cries over us. A God who wants no one to go there. Imagine with me your past being forgiven with no fear of the consequences of your past. Imagine with me being with Jesus every day and learning to live life, uh, how to best live it from Him here and now. Imagine your present being filled with the power to live right and with no fear of living no matter what comes because you know His sustaining grace can sustain you through no matter what comes, no matter... What comes? And imagine your afterlife being secure with no fear of death any longer. That can be yours if you get to know Jesus as He really is. So pray with me. Let's pray. For those of you who are Christians, this is just a reminder to say to Him, Oh, yes, Lord, now remember. Maybe you need to confess your misplaced disappointment or your misplaced anger toward Him. Because He is loving and trustworthy. And ask Him to continue to help you to get to know Him better that you may love Him more and trust Him more fully. But for those of you who need this, it begins by becoming a Christian and you can do so by committing control of your life in eternity to Him, repenting of your sin and placing your trust in Him. I'm going to walk you through a prayer to pray. Let this be the prayer of your heart to the Lord Jesus. Dear Lord Jesus, I admit I have gone my own way. I have sinned with my thoughts and words and actions. I'm sorry for my sin. I turn from my sin and repentance. I believe you died for me, taking my sins in your body on the cross. Thank you for your great love. Now I open the door of my life. Come in, Lord Jesus. Come in as my Savior and forgive and cleanse me. Come in as my Lord and take control of me. And I will serve you as you give me strength all the days of my life. Lord, thank you for hearing these prayers. Thank you for defeating death, hell, and the grave by your death on the cross and resurrection from the dead. 
teach us to trust in you. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Dogwood Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message. For more information and other sermons, visit dogwood.church. If you'd like to give to Dogwood Church, you can use your smartphone and text keyword dogwood to 779-77 or click the Give link online. You can now download the Dogwood Church app for Apple and Android devices for podcast, video, and more.